The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show, and happy May Day. If we were to set about to deliberately design a path that would bring us to our deepest essential self, we could not do any better than the design the soul has on our lives. What does the mysterious journey of living really mean? What fierceness drives us deep into ourselves? And what do we find there when we arrive? What persistent longing serves to write the poetry of our lives? When does the soul stand outside of us? And when is it invited in? These are the questions we're going to be talking about today. Byron Katie asks us who we would be without our stories. I wonder who we would be without our codes, our rules, our morals, our shoulds, our ought-tos, and our have-tos. For most of us, it's unsettling to imagine a life without these guides, but are they really leading us to our deepest essence? So, we've tossed a pebble into the lake. And the ripple is running outward. We're going to talk about these things that make that pebble land in the water. And we're also going to be talking about the ever-extending ripple. So let's start where we started. Could we possibly design a path for our own lives that would bring us to our deepest essential selves without the assistance, without the design, the map, if you will, of the soul on our lives? Well, I don't believe we can. I, I, I believe that the soul has a design and that that design is going to be carried out regardless of anything else. So what do I mean when I say that? Well, first of all, I don't make any uh, distinction between the soul and the spirit. I think those are the same thing. I think when we start making distinct distinctions, we're... We get lost in the distinctions and we lose touch with the fact of oneness. We are one with the divine. The divine is one with us. We are all the same and yet we are distinguishable constituents within that pattern, that uh, weave and woof of the pattern that is universal energy that I call the divine. And so uh, what is the soul? Well, the soul is our deepest essential self. It is, uh, uh, Carl Jung called it, uh, the, the self with a capital S. I call it the self with a capital S. Um, some, some people distinguish between the soul and the ego and the ego and the id and the, uh, superego. Some people distinguish between the, the, the soul and the spirit. Some people distinguish between a higher self and a lower self. Those are all distinctions that I try not to make. 
I try not to use that language and I want to be really clear as to why. I try not to use that language because they divide. They split us. In my ver- version of reality, there is no divide between the ego and the higher self. The ego is only a liaison between the inner and the outer world. And by liaison, I mean bridge. I mean communicator. I mean, uh, uh, the pathway between those two so that we can take what's inside of us and manifest it externally so that we can also receive internally what the external has to gift us with. That is what the ego is for. In mental health, we talk about a strong ego and a weak ego. And what we mean by that is people who have the ability to sort of more or less hold themselves together uh, and not become extremely in- dysfunctional have what we call a strong ego and the people who have a, uh, a d- are not so able to hold themselves together and function in the world have a weaker ego. And uh, what, what that means is that the ego is not doing its job of liaisoning between the inner and the external world so that what is external floods into the internal and the person identifies with it and, and so that whatever is going on in the external world just overwhelms and overcomes the person's, um, sense of self and, uh, sense of capacity to manage life. Uh, what, and, and vice versa, um, the inner world can also be so projected out onto the outer world that we think that what's, what we perceive is actually true. This is how people develop illusion, delusions and hallucinations. And so, with a weak ego structure, we can have a mental illness. With a stronger ego structure, we may have neurosis, but we're not going to have psychosis. So that's that's how the mental health wor- world looks at it. And I agree with that, although some of the terminology I might dispute. But basically, I agree with that premise. That is that the ego is not some bad part of me that I need to get rid of. And so much of what we've been uh, talking about when, when it comes to um, spiritual, uh, spiritually assessing our own progress is we're asking ourselves how much ego is still in my life. Well, I want my ego intact. Um, and if I throw my ego out, what I'm throwing out is that liaison between the inner and external world so that there is no bridge. And I don't, can't distinguish me from not me. And so we do need to have the power to differentiate. And by that I mean we need to be able to know what's external and what's internal. But when it comes to saying, well, this part of me is spirit and this part of me is higher self and this part of me is ego and this part of me is not, what we tend to be doing is splitting off, um, into, uh, really making ourselves more unconscious and not making ourselves more conscious. Uh, so if we are to find our deepest essential self, it will be through consciousness. It will be through making what is unconscious conscious so that we become more aware of the hidden self um, that is down there. In that process, we're not going to be squaring off against parts of ourselves and saying, that higher self is really good and I need to attain to that and that lower self is really bad and I need to get rid of it. That's a split off. Uh, we are not going to be saying, I need to be extra good and, and really learn how to do everything right so that I never do anything bad or wrong. We're not going to be splitting off that way. Um, those are the ways of duality and those are the ways of traditional 
religions very often split us off into good and bad, wrong and right, moral and immoral. So there's codes that we need to be living by, and there are rules that we uh, carry out, and there's shoulds and ought tos and have tos, and much of that is made up. Uh, the shoulds and ought tos and have tos, and some of it comes from our interpretations of some sacred texts. Um, so when we're deciding who we are, we in- naturally include all of those shoulds and have tos and ought tos into that self-definition. And we want very much to exclude those things that don't seem to match a self-definition that we like. And we want to include those things that match a self-definition that we that we like. So, so we would say to ourselves, well, I never cheat on anybody, so that makes me a good person, so I'm okay with that identity. Um, but if I find that I've uh, actually not been uh, forthcoming with my partner about my, you know, my thoughts and feelings about a given scenario that might be happening in terms of parenting or money or whatever, uh, am I cheating? Maybe. Those are the kinds of distinctions that that Jesus made, um, one of the master teachers of our world made when he was uh, giving the Sermon on the Mount. And he was going through a long list of, of uh, you say, you're, you know, the people that you listen to say this, but I say this. You know, you, they say, uh, you know, don't commit adultery, but I say this. Uh, if they say don't lust after somebody else, but I say if you've got lust in your heart, it's the same thing. Um, there's several of those uh, that we tend we tend to literally interpret as more rules for us to follow. But if you look into other passages that Jesus said, we find out that he did, he would, didn't come here to make rules. He said there was only one law, and that was to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and to love your neighbor as yourself. Those were the laws. That was it. There were no laws. So why we interpret these as more laws, I don't know. But in those passages, what he's basically doing, in my view, is he's tongue-in-cheek saying, you know, you got all these rules and codes, but really... There's something bigger. There's something more here. And it's the mystery of being holy, of being uh, perfect as God is perfect, which is in those passages as well. That we're, It's the mystery of wholeness. Holiness is wholeness. And so how do we find wholeness? How do we find an essential self? Well, what I'm saying is that the soul carries us there. Uh, and... And if you believe in reincarnation, as I do, then we have many opportunities to get there. Um, we may get only there by an increment in this life and an increment in the next and an increment in the next and an increment in the next and on and on and on. But eventually, we will get there. And every lifetime, every incarnation absolutely fulfills what it came here to do. Now, we tend to look at that and go, yeah, right. Look, look at the serial killers now. Come on. They're not, they're not getting where they're supposed to get, right? There's a bad people, right? Well, that's definitely one way of looking at that. And I certainly can understand it. I've certainly felt that way myself. But the wisdom that I, uh, have now says something different. And what it says is that, uh, a serial killer can identify with being bad and become badder and badder in order to prove that he exists, he or she exists. 
And so if there was no bad to identify with, then they wouldn't identify with bad. So, so in that process of, uh, finding some kind of identity in a family that is chaotic and, you know, has all kinds of dysfunctional and even dangerous things going on, a child may try to figure out who, who he or she is going to be in that mix so that he or she can survive. And in that process, they might say, well, you know, I'll survive a whole heck of a lot better if I'm the bad guy. Now, they might not consciously get that, but somewhere along the way, they begin to identify with that for whatever reason. And therefore, they begin to act bad. And when they act bad, they get seen as bad. And, oh, all of a sudden, they're not invisible anymore. And so they act bad again, and they get seen as bad. And, oh, all of a sudden, I'm not invisible anymore. And that's why I believe that we, that's my theory as to why it is that, uh, you will see that a serial killer very often is very interested in uh, great hype, lots of media, atten- media attention, um, so that they can be seen and therefore they believe they exist. Now, there's a whole lot more to this theory that I've written about in an upcoming book that is going to be called Inhabiting Heaven Now. And the subtitle is, uh, has to do with this whole thing about moral codes. It is the answer to every uh, moral dilemma. And the answer to every moral dilemma is that morals are things we made up because we didn't believe in the power of the soul to get us where we're going. Okay? So that's a real simplified version of what I'm talking about. But uh, the design of the soul is that we come here to accomplish a given understanding, a given thing that we are to put into not only our minds that we can get some insight about, but also into our behavior and into the very cells of our body. Why do we need it in the cells of our body? Because eventually what we're supposed to be doing here is joining form and formlessness so that uh, what has been previously only... Um, non-mattered spirit now becomes in-mattered soul um, so that we are living here in physical form as soul. That's the ultimate goal. Originally, everything was formless and void. Ultimately, everything will be formed and not void. There will be soul in matter and matter in soul. Now, there already is that. We just don't know it. And in the process of self-discovery, we come to know our bodies as a part of the of the whole design in terms of how we can manage to uh, be in sold and in matter at the same time. Um, so, okay, so what is the mysterious journey of living mean? What What is that all about? Well, that's a, a you know... We could spend the next couple of centuries answering that question. I don't know what it's about individually for you. But all, all together, the mysterious journey of living is consciousness. We are to become more and more aware of the mystery that is behind all that we are in terms of its uh, essential nature. And uh, we are to become more and more filled with our own souls. And uh, so what fierceness is it that drives us deep into ourselves? It's our soul. 
Thomas Moore talks. Uh, we had him on the show last week, and I'm not going to speak for him, but in, in terms of his upcoming book, but in terms of his previous books, books like The Care of the Soul, he talks about the soul being a dynamic, um, energetic liveliness, if I can put it in my own terms, that is, um, we, we are, it's in, our soul enlivens us. It makes us alive, in other words. Without soul, we're not really living. And so, in the process of self-discovery, we discover deeper and deeper, um, aspects of that, uh, powerful life energy that is liveliness itself. We discover the joy of doing a job we love. We discover the passion behind certain elements of a, of a given relationship, be it par- a parent-child relationship or a, a uh, adult to adult relationship or a brother sister relationship or you know a relationship with a stranger that we might invite into our lives or be invited into their lives in some accidental or planned way so that liveliness is a guide for us to the next step what makes me feel the most alive now I'm going to tell you, there will be people that will answer that question with, you know, cocaine makes me feel the most alive, or LSD, or, you know, uh, methamphetamine. It makes me feel the most alive. Well, uh, that's the illusion. That's the trickster in us that can say, well, I can substitute liveliness for this other thing, this other... Um, um, way of perceiving life through the process of illusion i can fly i can live above and beyond the the incremental associations to life on life's terms and stay instead uh totally invested in my own uh, trip my own illusion about life about myself about what i do and don't need to take responsibility for and we can talk some more about that after the break. But for now, uh, the basic component of this particular segment has been that the soul knows how to run our lives. And it doesn't need morals, codes, uh, uh, shoulds, ought tos, and have tos to make that happen. So that's a scary thought. And we're going to talk some more about that right after the break. Stay tuned for more. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. 
There's a course offered on 7th Wave Network that you never saw offered in college. One that provides information on how to transform ancient wisdom teachings into everyday life. You'll learn how to create from your spirit and explore the world with all of your senses. Participation is encouraged. Enroll in Spirituality 101, the course you can't afford to miss with your host, Reverend Norma. Class is in session every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, in your favorite classroom, 7th Wave Network. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. You may wonder what the terms holistic theology mean. Well, theology is the study of the divine, and holistic theology is a holistic study of the divine that includes all religions and even transcends religion to get to the mystical core of them all. The American Institute of Holistic Theology offers doctorate, master's, and ministerial bachelor's degrees, chaplaincy programs with internship, NBCC-approved continuing education, a brand-new Ph.D. program in holistic theology, and ordination through the AIHT Temple. AIHT's programs include degrees in the following, Holistic Theology, offering as terminal degrees both a THD and a PhD, Holistic Ministries, Holistic Health and Spiritual Care, Metaphysical Spirituality and Alternate Spiritual Traditions, which includes in-depth studies of the paranormal. Using a home study model for distance learning, the student of AIHT gets thorough education in the field that fulfills and offers a chance to authenticate a unique gift for the world. This is not just another spiritual diploma mill. AIHT is a real educational program where you will get a real learning experience in a broad spectrum of educational endeavors, utilizing as your text-writing teachers spiritual experts from all over the world. For those interested in enrolling, there's a small down payment of $250, and then you pay only $150 a month, interest-free, toward manifesting your dream. And right now... AIHT is running a special program in which if you email in before July 1st, you can get a free course. Just email Beverly Love, that's Beverly Love at AIHT.edu and put win a free course in the subject line. If your letter is drawn, you will win a free course in which you can try out this education that you might receive at AIHT. The big deal is that facilitating your dream is AIHT's mission. All you have to do is enroll 
To enroll is either to go to www.aiht.edu or contact Admissions Director Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. Again, if you'd like to enroll right now, pick up the phone and call 800-650-4325 to learn how to fulfill your deepest longings for a fulfilling career serving others using your own unique gift. So we're talking today about the mystical journey of life, of life itself. What does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to have that journey? Who's running that journey after all? Because some would say, if the ego's running it, we're really in trouble. Well, I would say the ego cannot run anything. It is only a liaison between the inner and external worlds, which I said in the previous segment. But uh, And other people would say that if we are running it, then we're in trouble. We, meaning us as humans, because, you know, we can't trust us as humans because we're just basically bad people who have as our central core effort some kind of competitive evil that makes us want to have wars and blow each other up. And eventually we're headed for doom where we're going to blow the world up in some kind of a pop apocalyptic atom bomb kind of thing. So it's pretty uh, devastating to consider that as a possibility. I think what's going to happen is we're going to evolve into greater and greater awareness of who we are as divine beings, and we're going to um, be form and formlessness simultaneously. Uh, but that's just my opinion, and uh, you can disagree with that if you want. What I said just before the break is it's pretty scary for us to imagine that we could be run by our souls at our deepest level and not need all the rules and codes and morals and shoulds and ought tos and have tos that we have developed to keep ourselves in line. But we don't trust that at all. In fact, one of the ways that we use these codes to make sure that we behave right is we use these codes to uh, help us feel guilty. In other words, we say, I have to the degree that my conscience runs my life. Now, conscience is not the same at all as consciousness. Okay, To the degree that my conscience runs my life, I am a good person. And what they mean by that, generally speaking, if you ask them is, when I feel a good dose of guilt coming, I know what to do. I know that I should do the right thing and therefore I will not feel guilty later. And the right thing is based on some code and very often the code is not written down anywhere but is assumed based upon uh, some kind of uh, should, ought to, or have to. For example, um, I work with many people who are strapped um, hip to hip to someone they don't even like. Uh, someone that they do love but who they don't even like and who runs their lives by telling them that if they don't do for that other person what they, the other person thinks they should do for them, then they are selfish people. And all they have to do is say that S word and the person starts to feel guilty and does for them whatever they need to do. And it is extremely hard to, uh, to, to remove the scales from those eyes because the the person's sense of self is all invested in whether or not they can be a good person their relationship to that other person seems to be extremely important to how they prop their own identity up and so they don't want to 
do anything that's going to ruin that relationship or, or take that relationship away from them. And thirdly, they think maybe that other person is right, that maybe there's something really wrong with them if they don't do and perform as the other person thinks they should. So it's a complicated complex to try to weave your way through. And the way that we begin the process of weaving our way through that is to look at their real feelings. What they really feel is they really spend most of their time with their own spit between their teeth because they want so badly to have some freedom, freedom of time, freedom of energy, freedom of emotion so that they can live their own lives as they would like to live them. And they want that so badly. They feel so trapped. And yet, they stay trapped by choice alone. Okay, so now let's let's talk about choice. Um, when it comes right down to it, all these codes and morals and and Ten Commandments and all the rules and uh, that we think that Jesus was t- giving us in the Sermon on the Mount, which I don't think he was giving us at all. Um, all of those things, all the things that, the, in, that are written down about good people and bad people and what good people do and what bad people do and, and, uh, all the shoulds and at, ought tos and have tos that are running around in our brains, all of those things are there to keep us from being bad people. But what if, what if at the core we are not bad people? We can identify with fear and act in ways that we later regret because we are, we are so afraid that somebody's going to get something we have or that we're going to lose something or that we're going to not have the identity we used to have or something. We're so afraid that we do something inappropriate and ineffective and hurtful and later we regret that we've done it. We can do that. We absolutely can do that. So I want to be real clear. I'm not denying that our behavior can be extremely dysfunctional. What I am saying is that the rules and codes and morals might not be necessary to get us where we want to go. And yet we're very, very, very invested in those rules and codes and ought tos and jaftus and morals because we say to ourselves, if we didn't have those we would become evil people. And that's why I ask in this book, upcoming book, entitled Inhabiting Heaven Now. Uh, and the subtitle is The Answer to Every Moral Dilemma Ever Posed. And the answer to every moral dilemma ever posed is that we don't need morals. We need our souls. They are enough to guide us if we will put our identity into our soul instead of have it hanging out there for someone else to grab hold of and dis- define for us, or a, a carica- caric- made into a caricature that only does one thing. I know, I know what to do. You make me feel guilty. Okay, I'll do what you say. Or I know what to do. You make me mad. I'll hit you. Or I know what to do. Um, I, 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 I have to be a bad guy. So that's what I am. I do that. Those are, those are caricatures. They're not people. Those are caricatures. And they, they always tell us what we're to do, and so we always do what we've always done, and we always get what we always got. Those things are not working for us, hello. 
they do not work for us because ultimately we end up in misery. And then we just say, well, you know, life is hard. Life is miserable. That's the way it is. Life sucks, right? No, life doesn't suck, but we can sure suck. <laughs> and what we suck is our own blood when we're trying very hard to not live into our own souls. So, okay, the heart has enough compassion to guide us into what we call right action. The heart has enough compassion to guide us into behaving according to our compassion and passion. We do not need some should to tell us to do that. We are so afraid that if we start taking care of ourselves, that what we will do is we will not be there for other people. And we have been taught that our chief purpose in life is to be there for other people. And that is not true, in my humble opinion. It's not true. We, we are not to be here for other people. We are to be here, period. Be here now, as Eckhart Tarlow says. Be here now. We are supposed to be, in my view, um, being present. And so when we are present, we will uh, be present for the enormity of a, an, a, a compassionate response that just comes up from the soul unbidden and says, go do this for this other person. And we can be totally motivated by that and we'll go do it. And you know what? That other person's life will truly be enriched. Why? Because we were truly present while we were doing it. Because our soul was doing it. And when our soul is doing something, we are there. We're present for it. We're all up in it. And it enlivens and it and, and brings life energy to everything it touches. That is really living alive to the bone, through the bone, to the down to the cellular activity, down below that even. That's how we begin to unite form with formlessness. But as long as we are still thinking that the earth is going to hell in a handbasket because it's not moral enough, we still got it all wrong. And that's what the book is going to be all about. Um, it's not out yet, and I don't have a date for when it's going to be out yet because you know how it is with publishing companies. There's some, sometimes you just have to wait until things get on, on, uh, into that realm of, uh, yes, we have it down for sure in, uh, uh the edited copy, and then we're going to give you the date for publication. So, um, when I get that, I'll send, I'll give it to you. But in the meantime, this idea of who we are without our codes and rules and morals is extremely frightening to us. So um, what we fear, and what I, I've asked that question on my blog before, and what I got from most people was, oh, yeah, we'd be apes. We'd be uh, terrible, vicious, awful, murderous people. We'd be selfish and self-centered and not care about anybody else but ourselves. We'd be money grubbers. We'd be greedy. And all of those definitions just say that we don't, we can't even imagine ourselves as whole people, uh, who are, who are just present. We have to define it in terms of bad or good. And if we don't have our morals, then we'll just be bad. 
the only way that we humans on earth can be good people in our view of this, in our dualistic framework of this, is to have morals to keep us in line. And morals only operate by choice. In other words, we have the choice all the time as to whether or not we're going to obey the moral or disobey the moral. And people that disobey the moral are considered to be rebellious because there's a moral against their which they're rebelling. And people that obey the moral are, are, be, are just good people. They're just good people. Well, you know and I know people who are very moralistic, very even compulsive about their morals, who are not kind, not loving, cold, indifferent to other people's needs. How can that be? How is it possible that a person can be moral and yet be so cold and indifferent to other people? Well, it can be because our morals are not real. We can behave into them and and all we're doing is behaving on the morals and repressing all of our genuine feelings. And so all of the anger and all of the sorrow and all of the negative, whatever we call negative feelings, they go down inside there and they operate beneath our radar screen. Everybody else sees it, but we don't. So that's why we call it shadow material. It operates on its own without our permission. And why does it do that? Because it has an energy of its own that will find expression. It will find expression. What we don't understand about our emotions is that they will find expression. Why? Because they are messages to us, for us, about us, from the soul. But we're so busy thinking their bad feelings are good feelings, negative feelings are positive feelings, that we want to put them in a category and stick them somewhere inside of ourselves so that we, they don't interfere with our lives. And all that is is a false sense of control. I'm now a good person because I don't have those feelings anymore. I got over that really quickly. How did I do that? I just sent that away into the unconscious. And what's it going to do down there? It's going to find a way to express itself in a way that I don't see but other people do. Good work we did there, huh? So that's what's happening with the person who can be very moral but yet be dispassionate toward other people. Um, so uh, when we're talking about morality, we think we're talking about something very, very important, but actually we're talking about something plastic. Yeah, that's right. We're talking about plastic. And what is plastic? Well, it can be a credit card, <laughs> and it might buy you some stuff, but it's not really going to help you get down to that deepest essential self, which the soul is designing our lives to attain. And we're going to talk about that design to attain right after the break. Stay tuned for more. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Many of us make choices in our lives based on how others react. 
But what should really matter is making our life choices based on what we intuitively feel. By tuning in to The Mystic and the Mystery with Inspired Intuition hosts Beth Porozhik and Christine McIver, you'll receive the tools and inspiration you need to do just that. Your fears do not have to drive you, and you are naturally intuitive, creative, and whole. By believing in yourself, you can live the life you've been longing for. Listen for The Mystic and the Mystery every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. If you were looking to shift from struggle to a life of alignment with your deepest truth, you'll want to tune in to Thresholds to Awakening with host Sway Emily Spilkin. Our program will help you discover that your deepest challenges are not mistakes, but opportunities to become who you really are. Thresholds to Awakening. Enter your darkness to find your light. Where Sway speaks with spiritual luminaries, cutting-edge thought leaders, and experts in the field of transformation. Listen live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Are you in tune with yourself? Listen every week for Ecstaticism, Embracing the Journey to Awakening, featuring host Sherry Lynn. When we understand that we are not alone in this world and have infinite love available to us at all times, we can be ecstatic and call upon the assistance we need to reconcile and release our past, fear, and addictions. Listen to Ecstaticism, Embracing the Journey to Awakening, live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Joy, bliss, and ecstaticism is our God gift to experience. Be joy, be peace, be love. Visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back. We're talking today about the soul's journey, the mystic journey of our lives. And what we said in the first segment was that uh, perhaps there was something deeper than uh, morals and codes, and we spent the second segment talking about the, the, what those codes did and didn't do for us. And now we're going to talk about the soul's design on our lives. What does the soul do that morals can't do? Well, morals can tell us what we should and shouldn't do. We already know that. And they can make us think that we're good people because we've done what they said for us to do. But they don't really change anything about our deepest core essential nature. They can't reach that far because, as I said, they are plastic. But the soul can. The soul can get us to our deepest essential self, and that essential self will do, will follow the path of soul. And that will be, uh, and, and people ask me all the time, well, what if the soul is really evil? Well, 
The only way we can think in terms of good and evil is when we're caught up in the duality trance state that says that God is out there somewhere, God, the divine, whatever you want to call that, is out there somewhere in the heavens not suffering while we plebes down here on planet Earth are suffering and we have to be good, but God can do whatever he wants, he being the operative term there. Um, so uh, that duality, that that belief in duality is what makes us think in terms of good and evil. Beyond those, that dualistic perception of life, there is no good and evil. Not only is there not anything evil, but there's not anything good either. Either There's just soul. It's not defined in those terms, and it is so hard for us to imagine life without good and evil. But what if real, raw, essential life is without good and evil? That's a question that only you can answer for yourself. I've answered it for me, and the answer that I've come up with is that the soul has the capacity to get me closer and closer each incarnation to my essential self. And the way the soul does that is by presenting me with opportunity after opportunity to get closer to the essential self. So everything that is attract, as we talked in my previous book called The Law of Attraction, the soul's answer to why it isn't working and how it can, the law of attraction as it was defined in that book is that uh, we are attracted to and by everything, uh, every situation, person, people, place, places, events, circumstances that will bring us to closer and closer, fuller and fuller awareness of who we are as divine beings. And so if the soul really is doing that, the way it does it is by getting us to the situations, places, people, events that will get us to see something we must see in that lifetime, in that incarnation. So, for example, suppose that I'm supposed to be learning about unconditional love in this life. Maybe some small portion of unconditional love and what that is and what that means. Well, one, I'm going to have to learn about what that means for me as a self. What does it mean to love myself unconditionally? And then from there, I might have to learn about how uh, my soul might be able to express unconditional love to other people. So my journey might put me into circumstances, events, and um, um, run into people and be in places where I have to learn that. Now, very often, unfortunately, the way that we learn unconditional love is be by, by being presented condition after condition to love. So that we might uh, find ourselves in love with people who uh, hurt us and do it again and again until we go, oh, oh, I see. I love them anyway. I don't need to be in the same room with them because they keep hurting me because guess what? I also love me. But I do love them anyway because I can't seem to make this love go away. Ha! Guess what that is? That's unconditional love. Yeah. Because many of us are already doing it. Uh, we call some of these uh, codependent relationships. <laughs> and I really don't like that term codependent because it was it's become the uh, catch-all for everything that's dysfunctional in life. But um, but uh, that said, if uh, if a person is joined at the hip with some to someone who is hurting them, uh, then that that relationship 
is about, does have some dependency there. But what I often find is that when I'm working with someone who's in a relationship like that, is that not only are they tied to them by need, by a kind of desperate need to not be lonely, because they just know if this relationship ends, there's not going to be anybody, which has to do with self-love or lack thereof. But also, it, it has to do with the genuine love for that other person. They really love that other person. They really do love them. Not only do they need them, but they also love them. So when we, uh, in the idea of codependency, we say, well, they, it's only need. Well, yeah, sometimes it is only need, but sometimes it's need accompanied by a real, deep, true, unconditional love. And so we say, well, you know, you need to get rid of that person, and they go, yeah, but I love them. Now, sometimes they mean, yeah, but I need them when they say I love them. But sometimes they mean, no, I really do love this person. And I feel that from that love, I need to stay and tolerate the intolerable and accept the unacceptable. And that's when we go, oh, yeah, but what about the love for yourself? Can't you do both? Can you love this person and love yourself at the same time? Now, there's a challenge. Okay. And that's what the soul is intending to do. It is intending to challenge our unconsciousness until we become conscious. And that's why we run into these difficult circumstances, so that we can be challenged to become awakened, to find out who we are at our deepest essential self on a spiritual level as well as a physical level, so that body, mind, spirit, soul, however you want to use those words to divide ourselves up, are all the same thing. So they all not only operate in the same path in, in, so that they're all um, doing the same thing. The mind is doing the same thing the mouth is doing. The mouth is doing the same thing the action is doing. The action is doing the same thing that the, that the physical body is doing and the physical body is doing the same thing that the prayer is doing and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, yes, it, not only are they all in alignment that way, but they are all the same thing. The mind, the heart, the body, the, 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 the soul are all the same thing. The action, the words, they're all the same thing. They all are coming from that same central energy. So even from a molecular perspective, the body is the same thing. It is the soul. So when we're talking about um, what the soul can do there is that when we begin to slowly wake up to the fact of unconditional love, in that particular incarnation in which we were supposed to be learning about some increment of unconditional love, we begin to feel it on all of those levels. We begin to get it intellectually. We begin to process it emotionally. We begin to let it into our bodies so that we can be present with ourselves in unconditional love. We begin to uh, invite other people into the room with us. We invite our external environment into that unconditionality of love. And we got it. We got it. We got what we came here to get. Now, here's the thing. And this is from a passage in um, the, the Christian Bible, or actually uh, the Old Testament of the Christian Bible, but also of the, um, the, the Hebrew Bible as well, uh, in the prophets in Isaiah, where it says, and 55.11 says, My word will not return to me empty. And what that means essentially is that what there, what the soul intends for a given lifetime will not return at the end of that lifetime empty. That's it. Andrea Matthews interpretation. 
take it or leave it. Do with what if with it what you think works for you. But that's what I believe. I believe that that passage is not telling us that the word of God that's written down on these pieces of paper will not return to God empty. The word has a very deep spiritual meaning as we see later when Jesus as, as a Christ figure or we could also say a Buddha figure or yeah, a Krishna figure, figure uh, is the word. Okay, So we are the word. And we will not, we as soul will not return at the end of a lifetime empty of doing what we came here to do. Everything that the soul desires for a given lifetime is going to happen. We cannot miss it. Now, we may only get one inch of the elongated uh, version of soul in that particular life, but we will get that inch. Okay, it is ours. No one can take it from us. Why? Because it belongs to the soul, and the soul knows what to hold on to and what to let go of. And we can trust that. But we don't trust that. We trust our morals, our rules, our obligations, our duties, our shoulds, our ought tos, and our have tos. That's what we've been taught to trust. And that is exactly backwards. That is exactly backwards. What's so scary about my my statement here that we don't need our morals to keep us in line is that, oh my God, we're going to become these horrible people. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. But here's the thing. We already think that and we've got the morals. <laughs> they aren't working. Hello. <laughs> they aren't working. And so uh, that that idea that morality, if everybody would just get more moral, we'd be all right. It's a false idea. It's a false idea based entirely in dualism. Lao Tse knew this centuries ago. He was the founder of Taoism. And he it was a person who did not believe in the duality of good and evil. Thich Nhat Hanh believes the same. That we don't need that whole paradigm to live our lives, that who we are in our deepest essence is enough to carry us through life, to get us where the soul intends for us to go. So remembering who we are is the process of the soul. It, it wakes us up slowly through lifetime. Sometimes the events that happen are, are like an amazing sunset or like waking up in the morning and hearing the rustle of the leaves outside in the wind. Or like today when I drove on the freeway and saw a million buttercups blowing in the wind along the side of the freeway. It was amazing. It was thrilling. It was joyous. That was my soul saying, hello? Hello, can you see me? Can you feel me? And I heard it and I felt it and I let it be. I, I was present with it. Sometimes I don't hear it. Sometimes I'm not paying attention. Sometimes I'm so involved in getting through whatever it is that I'm trying to work on or whatever that I'm not there for it. But today I was. And many days you are. And in those days, your soul is saying, hello, here I am. Forget about good and bad. Look at the buttercups. Look at the wind. Listen to the sound of the wind. Look at the sunset. Look around at the stillness that is somehow making, creating this amazing activity. 
That's what the soul says to us. It can say it through those kind of wonderful events. It can also say it through a tragedy. It can say it through uh, 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 somebody's betrayal. It can say it through a heartbreak. It can say it through health issues. It can say it through all kinds of things, but it's always talking. And all we need to do is turn around and listen. The morals, the shoulds, the how-tos, the have-tos, they're not going to get us there. They're not ever going to get us there. And you'd think after all these centuries, we would have figured that out. But no, we haven't. We just keep trying to do the same old thing harder and looking for different results. The definition of insanity. So, can the soul get us to our deepest essential self? Absolutely. Can morals? No. They can't. It's just how it is. That's the show today. And uh, so, I want you to come back next week. Um, I'm not sure yet of the topic for next week, but as soon as I know it, I'll put it out there for you. And uh, remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week. 